Welcome to Research Lives and Culture, the podcast that offers conversations about the research environment. Each week I interview someone who works or has previously worked in research. We discuss about the approach they have taken to navigate their career, the critical decisions they have made, the joys they have had in their work, and the challenges that they have faced. I ask questions about what a supportive research environment really looks like, and about the actions that we can take to help the research culture empower people to thrive. My name is Dr. Sandrine Sou. I am a coach, facilitator, and trainer for the research environment, and your host on this podcast. I am committed to ease the path to research careers by sharing stories of researchers' lives. Good morning, everyone. Today, I'm meeting Toby Gould, who is my invitee for this podcast. This podcast has been recorded for the KRMP network. I'm going to be doing some work with them over the next few months. And we are interviewing lots of people who've been involved with the network. So thank you very much, Toby, for accepting uh, to talk to me. That's quite all right. Thanks for the invite. You're very welcome. So I'm interested in the lives of researchers, in the careers uh, of researchers, and, and very much how people are able to negotiate the, the careers in and out of the research world. So it will be really interesting to hear about the early years, if I may say, about your life in research. Tell us a little bit how you got started you know, working in research. So initially I did a, a degree in chemistry at the University of Sheffield, and uh, that was great. I really enjoyed that as an undergraduate degree. You know, as, as a lot of us do, we, we finish our undergraduate degree and, you know, try to find the right job, the next job. I had a, a year of trying different roles in project management uh, and then thought this isn't quite right for me. So I thought I really want to get back into the science and really understand a bit more. But the year that I wanted wasn't sort of, it, it wasn't clear to me how it was going to come. So I stepped back and did a, a master's in uh, pharmaceutical analysis, did that at the University of Loughborough and really sort of a transformational time because it was where you were kind of given a lot of dim, but also it was a bit more on you to go and take the steps and work out the problems and you know it was down to you to do the do the learning and there was that research element which was really interesting so as, as part of that master's I did a, a research project which was really really interesting and I thought actually do you know what this is this is what I think I want to do I think I want to step into research and really go down that route so what was it about it that triggered your interest? It was actually being in that in that laboratory space, doing something new that nobody would really tried before. You see fruits of your labour in front of you. You're saying, well, actually, I've got this idea. We've got this problem that we're trying to solve. You go away and you do a, a couple of hours work and you generate the data and you design the experiments. And, you know, you had that freedom and you had all this kit in front of you. So being, being part of this, there was a load of new kit that I'd never seen before. That was a really interesting four months of a research project there was an advert placed for a doctoral training center in regenerative medicine a partner institution was the university of loughborough so brilliant opportunity i approached other people for phd projects because i thought a phd is what i really want to do a really influential guy a professor paul thomas i don't know he's still at loughborough and he's a fantastic chap and he sat me down and said well a phd do you really know what a phd is do you know what that entails do you know what it means to you is it something that you want to do he passed to me this book and I think it's called PhD I think it's a really short book so that, that was a really interesting read and I thought yeah actually 
fantastic let's go down that route so i applied for this at university of nottingham went to the interview and it was absolutely brilliant met a great cohort of people friends for life some brilliant colleagues i did my research at the university of nottingham under kevin chakechef the four-year research project was your project about at the time so live stem cell transport it did morph as we went through the project we did bring in new elements which sort of materials for of bone specifically the mastoid bone and that led me to have some time out with a team out there and we um, got a really nice publication out of that. What were you trying to do exactly with these stem cells? So in terms of the stem cells that was about trying to enable the transport of live stem cells to negate the requirement for cryopreservation so that was kind of a sort of a logistical question uh, that had been posed for the regeneration of the mastoid bone that was more of a tissue engineering uh, pure tissue engineering materials the phd gave me a broad broad brushstroke of a number of technologies and we also used some polymer substrates for uh, repeat passage of stem cells without having to, having to use uh, trypsin to digest them off a, a a substrate surface and so that was really interesting so it was kind of it ended up being From day one, it was very clear it was about the transport of stem cells. But then through the three or four years, it really sort of morphed into something that was a bit broader. Uh, but we managed to get that story together about how, how each of these elements pulled together into a, into a single thesis, which I guess is something that um, a lot of people have to battle with about what's that story. So that was a really, really interesting an exciting time where you know, you're really challenged. It was fascinating and you really pushed. You know, you, you take a lot away from your PhD that you don't realize you're taking away. So how you how you face a problem, you know, resilience, persistence, and then also just, you know, having the confidence in your confidence in your own abilities as well. That's 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 probably the biggest test that you you, you people tend to face. You mentioned that some of the work was biomedical engineering. So did you get a chance during your PhD to do a sort of interdisciplinary collaboration? Because obviously it's an area that there is a lot of work done in stem cell research. Was this part of what you were doing? I went to San Francisco to collaborate with an ear, nose and throat surgeon. So he had a load of expertise and he was really open to sort of new technologies that may enable him in the clinic to be able to you know his patients that are facing really debilitating conditions debilitating diseases he threw open the door to me being exposed to you know first first cadaver and being able to exercise bone from a cadaver scary to me <laughs> it's, it's kind of it's yeah so the cross-disciplinary type thing was was fantastic because you different viewpoint on the world as well and it, you you may as you're going through you have a, a specific idea of you know this, this is how it's going to be this is this is the solution to the problem but it takes people from the outside to actually sort of challenge your assumptions a little bit so the only way to do that is to really have those cross-disciplinary aspects and bring those on board and ask people and sort of put your ideas out there and have them challenged and it's up to you to either defend them or you know take on those those challenges and think actually oh, do you know what that's You know that, that that has actually changed having that having that viewpoint from from the from the surgeon. So almost like the person that would be and thinking about how you'd build that into what you were going to develop. So yeah, that was that was really interesting. And then yeah, so then I moved on from it was ended up being a we at the Brain Tumor Research Centre at the University of Nottingham, and that was all around centered around using a very similar biomaterial, but for a completely different purpose. And this is a did patients that have had. Um, a brain tumor so specifically for a, for a glioblastoma 
um, which is a, a brain tumor. So it's to deliver drugs directly to the tumor, basically. Yeah. Um, so directly delivering to the tumor bed. So what happens is somebody's diagnosed with their and the treatment, the treatment path is they will be offered surgery to debulk that tumor because they will they have a, a huge mass that's growing within within their brain, which is you know it will lead to disability and cranial pressure, and that you know ultimately the, the patient will 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 succumb to that. So they are offered surgery, and a brain surgeon will go in and they will debulk that tumor. They will they will remove as much as they physically can, physically as possible. So, but what is left behind is these residual cells that the the surgeon at that point in time has to make a decision to say right does this look like tumor or does this look like and if you take out any any brain that's that's functioning you'll you'll lose you will lose speech movement etc so there's there's this kind of a trade off that a brain surgeon can go in terms of tumor removal and not taking enough so if you don't take enough then that if there's lots of that will just recapitulate into a, into another into another tumor mass these are very hard decisions to make for the for the surgeon that's for sure that's it and there are new technologies coming online which are helping aid that that decision making which sorry my so yeah it's about pasting contains a cocktail of chemotherapeutic drugs the benefit being and delivered to the right side of the blood brain barrier which will have the greatest effect on on the tumor so so yeah, so we spent. So we had a pediatric neurooncologist, Professor Richard. We had a Smith was to actually see, you know, what it what it is to have a, a GBM removed and what the process is, and you know what he faces, what he sees when he goes into these surgeries, and at which point that the technology applied, and even down to how you know the scrub nurse would pass him the material for him to then apply into the coat. So it was that was you know that was again that was about multidisciplinary approach to something and then trying to gather the broadest picture so like i said from even from the the perspective of the scrub nurse because you may be thinking about your technology in terms of sort of technology development but point of use is is a huge is a huge thing that you need to really consider in the lab there is a disconnect with the reality on the ground of what it's like for the end users or what it's like for the person whose problem you're trying to solve so in here working with the surgeon the reality of the difficult choices that they have to make when you've never been in uh, in the theater you you have no idea what it's like of, for for them to actually you know, having, you know, an open brain and having to make these decisions. If he's your collaborator, it's really a way of engaging your, you know, for, for, for him to engage you and say, okay, that's my reality every day. I've got to make these choices. And whatever you develop needs to help make the choices that I have to make. So it's, uh, it's, it really brings it to, you know, to the ground of bringing the motivation in you that sometimes you're just doing experiments in the lab. And, but that's really connect to the reality of why you're doing the work. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's one of the realities of why, but then the other reality of why that we, we were exposed to. So the health is, is a charity, um, so the Brain Tumor Research Centre at the University of Nottingham is a charity, but also it works closely with other brain tumor charities, small and large. We often had, unfortunately, on this pathway, they they'd, they'd come in and they'd give us their motivations, they'd give us their insights, and they would give that patient perspective. They'd be the they as in the, they'd come in and be they'd advocate for for their sons, their daughters, you know what it's like to be you know the, the person on the operating table not just the surgeon but the person on the operating table what their reality is and what they're facing and the the options that they have and 
you know, there's, there's always the push for for more options, but being able to gather that perspective and really work out what the motivation of the ultimate end user, the ultimate end user in this situation is always the patient. Yeah, that that's also something to really bear in my development step, what your technology is going to be. And you have an assumption to say, right, this is going to change the world because X, Y, but whose world are you changing? And do they really want that world to be changed in such a way? Or is that too much of a step? Or are you addressing the wrong problem? You know, you solve a problem that doesn't really need to be solved, where the, the real problem sort of sat right next to it. And maybe, yeah, so really understanding the problem and who did that, you know, the four-year postdoc developing, developed this pattern of technology, which re-sparks some interest in, in sort of IP management. Then following on in technology transfer. Can I ask you, Toby, what were things that you did during your, your PhD and postdoc that were shaping your transition into the next stage of your innovation and commercialization sector. Occasionally, people feel they already have so much to do, you know, just doing the experimental work that it's it's really hard to do everything. So in your case, wh what do you feel that you did that in a way shaped your your interest in, you know, in your next career transition or made it possible for you to demonstrate that you were building, you know, knowledge or competencies into the next stage of what you were able to apply. Okay, so I think the seeds of where I am today were planted probably back in that first year of the doctoral training centre. So the doctoral training centre was set up in a way where, uh, as a cohort, we were exposed to things that were completely outside our comfort zone. And the reason for this, because regenerative medicine was going to be the next big thing for UK PLC. Uh, and the only way for it to be the big thing in terms of a, a scientific endeavor is to actually get products services therapies onto the market and how do you do that what's how do you take you know this whole bench to bedside thing that's you know an overused phrase but how, how actually do you do that so we were exposed to commercialization of research the commercialization of scientific discoveries we were exposed to business plan competitions we were exposed to business leaders and sort of mentors were made available to us we were taken through what what is intellectual property when you're building a business why is it important when you're commercializing a technology so yeah the seeds were planted in the, that first year and then managed to get a provisional patent application in off the back of the research done in doing the lab at the brain tumor research center and then i just there was a moment when i realized hang on a minute this may be the only, my only opportunity to be able to sort of go through this process and come up with new discoveries and things that are patentable pieces of work so i just thought i just thought I really want to, it drew me back to that beginning, that that first set of situation. I'd like to be more involved. I'd like to help people. I'd like, it was another bit of sort of serendipity, but a, another op, a, a technology transfer office for sort of like an entry level role, which is specifically in the life sciences uh, and biosciences area. So helping the two licensing executives that were in the technology transfer office to get out there research really get them to understand sort of the the translation from from how we can commercialize that research so really getting back to the coalface speaking giving this offering the support letting people know potentially how we can do this and how the university whether that is trying to point the awards sort of translation so translational grant awards such as mrccic type awards as well and really sort of push them towards writing a different type of grant is potentially what they're used to. You know, there's there's loads of seminars you can go to. There's loads of, you know, the, uni the universities or institutions will put on loads of resource for, you know, 
what what does a grant good grant look like and it's all about science behind it and everything but when it comes to writing a translational grant the questions are slightly different and it reflects back on what we were talking about just about the problem, the problem who's problem worth and what is your route and how can you uh, divide up that route towards your end goal of solving that problem for that end user and, and how much is it going to cost along the way and what's the risk and how are you going to de-risk it lexicon of terms that you need to sort of share with those 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 academics and yeah some of some of the some of the teams i've worked with are absolutely fantastic and you know every now and again even now even now i've, I've left it's you know 12 months pretty much since i left the university I still get the odd the odd text to say oh yeah we've done this it's great and this is moving on so in the work that you do how do you help people is the potential the positivity of it instead of just seeing it oh that's one more thing that we are asked to do so yeah, one thing that I try to do is sit sit down with the the academic, whether it's the senior academic or senior academic with some junior colleagues, or whether it's a junior academic, is actually sort of get them to explain what it is and get them to talk about it, and you know, taking it outside of the framework of you know the impact agenda, for example, and the the tick boxy nature, but actually try and get to what it is that really makes them excited about what they're doing. And that's always if you can have that conversation, you can you know you leave your leave all the papers to one side and leave all of your pro formers and the questionnaires, leave that all to one side, and actually just talk about the thing that they're interested in and try and get that spark. And then another thing to do is try and synthesize that information and then relay it back to them and say, Well, okay, I understand that you're trying to solve this problem and this is this is the way you're going to approach it. And then you try and you, you sort of speak it back to them to say, well, am I correct in saying that this or, you know, and also before you go into one of these meetings, maybe just have a bit of a, a read around about the area and try and get a bit of understanding about what, what that, that person or those those individuals are working on. So then you're able to, to be expertise, but you just have to have that sort of that common language uh, and be able to pick up on certain key points and go oh well, actually well interestingly this company has something that's very similar to what you're doing they may not know that this particular company exists or this particular there's you know there's maybe there's a particular suite of patterns here that this particular organization has this filed and you know what do you, why do you think they're doing that or why does your technology differ from and really explore those and turn it into more of a conversation rather than it being a, you know a tick boxy exercise um something that they have to sort of write down in a huge um impact assessment type and yeah so it's it's about actually engaging the research motivations and not just you know you know the body of work as it were and assessing the body of work because nobody likes to have best you know have their mark their, their work marked it's more about actually making sure they understand it's about developing those ideas and how you can develop those ideas or we can yeah so that's kind of how i approached it whilst at the university and obviously some some individuals may may not may not want to engage and that's the other thing as well you kind of have to that's a completely valid answer as well. So try and find that that understanding and, and work out, you know, people's motivations. Their motivations may be way off in a different direction. So, you know, you're, ne- you're never going to change that. But yeah, you always offer offer the assistance and offer the guidance and support. So yeah, number one top thing is just build that relationship. And you know, because the mo- the reason you're there is because of the, their research. So build those, build around that that research to begin with. And then, you know, just bring in other elements and relay back and make sure you've understood and 
yeah, turn it into a, a conversation. For, from your own experience, what does it feel like to be able to still contribute to a research endeavor in some ways, but through another route, through the role that you are doing now in kind of liaising with, you know, the process of commercialization? What do you feel is really exciting for you in still being involved in research, but, you know, differently? Yeah, so that's really interesting because I think going through, um, you know, going through your scientific career, sometimes you you don't even know, you know, day one of your PhD, you don't even know what a fellowship really is, potentially. Some people may do, may not. I, I didn't understand what a fellowship, I didn't know what the route to a fellowship was, what the route to a lectureship was. Uh, but this seemed to be the thing that, you know, a lot of people were aiming for and you know you know that that's that's a perfectly valid way to progress and then so it was always the academia versus industry that was kind of the thing and that was you know it's very black and white but as you go through and learn things and where i am sat now like you say it's contributing to search but in a different way so almost you're coming at it as a, a as a part of the puzzle that and what that part of the puzzle was and there are still people there, there will be people that are going through the process in their research and their academic, their academic career and they're developing these ideas and they don't know that this piece of the puzzle is missing but to be able to come in and be almost supercharge these ideas towards translation towards the clinic that that's really you know that it's really rewarding it's really fantastic it's it's, it's not easy it's hard work but yeah it's it's, it's really see your support and just adding in your expertise and just involved it may just be you know take an application form and rewriting it rewording it adding a bit of a section doing a doing a search doing something back but adding in that missing piece that takes it from being you know an eight out of ten to and then when you know those big grants come in or those deals get done you get to sort of share in that that person's absolute pride in taking their their research forward and getting that grant and they're taking a step towards achieving their goals achieving their dreams and that's really fantastic that's that's to enable these scientists i'm going to say they're probably better scientists than i or was or they've had better ideas or they have better opportunities those opportunities those ideas is is absolutely fantastic it's a great place to be what do you think it takes for an innovation officer or whatever job title you know people have in that obviously job titles are you know are a bit of a mystery often but to to do the work that you do what do you think is the really the one skill to help dynamics in the process of commercialization or linking more to you know to apply the research that's really interesting the one skill it's probably self, like self-assurance that you know your stuff. They're the expert in the science, but you're the expert in the commercialization. Self-assurance and being able to know you are the expert in commercialization, intellectual property management. I think with that being the, the really important skill, but then being able to communicate with a wide variety of people from a wide variety of disciplines that are working on a wide variety of technologies and trying to find that common language and speak to them on a level which they can understand you and also you're able to understand what they're saying so it's about communication backwards and forth so I think communication skills actually yeah that's probably the, the top one so within that role what's really the most challenging thing that you face on a regular basis where I am now challenge would be just pretty much the volume and the pace of change of work in a more academic setting that the, the challenge is probably slightly different it's about dealing with 
dealing with the failures because there, there will be a number and actually being able to deliver bad news as well. And that comes back again to the communication. So communication is an issue sometimes or communication isn't an issue, but the way that you communicate the wins and the losses is, is really important as well. And delivering somebody bad news or delivering somebody the answer no. So, you know, it comes down to a decision sometimes and that decision may not go in that person's favour. The process that had been gone and that you'd gone through and you can deliver them all of the evidence but no may not be what to hear even that even you know being able to sort of so that's that's the hardest thing with it in i found one in the academic settings horizon discovery what is it exactly what type of organization organization is it is it still part of a, of a university or is it a, what sort of structure is it okay so uh, so interestingly this Invitation to the podcast came at a very interesting time, very limited. So Horizon Discovery beginning of December was what would be classed as a small to medium employees across to Cambridge in the UK. And then there's a there's another site in in Boulder, Colorado, in the in the United States. The the, the business is providing services around uh crisp steering, bioproduction and cell line products as well. So it's all about sort of G2 create products and services that development of we have just gone horizon discovery so i've now got a company of, of 400 to to a to a large multinational u.s organized very early days something where you had a team of really really dedicated people that have developed this company pretty much from scratch which was to all intents and purposes a spin out from from the university of cambridge towards something lots of a multinational and had been created with horizon discovery and the team and the technologies and the you know the suite of applications and the suite of intellectual property in there so yeah it's, it's great to be to almost have that record yeah, come back in, in six months' time. And there's probably some more reflections that I'll be able to, to give about uh, the differences between working, working in a in a US organization and you're getting involved with those scientists and they have questions. You've got to you know provide them with the answers to help them move things on. And you know, because you're, you're only one step away, body that's going to commercialize the research, then you, you can, it, going from that initial idea to something that had that is much more accelerated. So yeah, I can see myself always definitely for the next couple of years being involved in that space. But there's also, it opens up a world of opportunity as well, because you are involved in other organizations, other large organizations that have similar teams that do similar things. Interesting. To sort of finish off, one of the things that's really probably will very helpful for researchers who are thinking about moving into commercial role. What, what do you think is the one thing that people really take, you know, experiences they should have in terms of seeing, or, or of having something on your CV that's kind of you know manageable, but actually puts you in a good position to first apply to that type of position? That's a really good question. Each organization will have a technology transfer, you know, pick up the phone, drop an email to either either the head or the person that's working in your space and just say, hi, have you got sort of half an hour for a coffee and technology transfer, intellectual property, commercialization, whatever it may be that you're, you're really interested in and just say, can we thought this through? Uh, and then they will be absolutely over and be excited to, to have that level of engagement from, you know, from an early career re researcher. Toby, can you tell me of one project in, in a few words that in terms of the commercialization element or something that really made a difference? Interestingly, it's probably one of the first projects that I, when I joined the university and uh, it was a, di a diagnostic 
type product. And there was a, a small team of two that had developed this this technology and working with them and going through that process and aiding them on their almost their voyage of discovery on commercialization and then off the back of that develop not only the project but the team and the individual almost understand things and look at things slightly differently and then off the back of that being able to bring in a couple of hundred thousand pounds worth of research funding towards towards a reality so that was I'm really proud of that, but you know, it's not just project and file for the, the first patent application and all that stuff, you know, the, the tick boxy stuff. It was more about enabling this this particular individual, this this early career re- researcher who was just coming to the end of their PhD and going towards uh, a postdoctoral role that didn't exist until the point at which, as a team, we developed that opportunity. So we'd taken this technology, managed to generate some you know, six months worth of to sort of secure work, and then just keep developing it and just keep keep eyes on the goal. That was brilliant. And it's that's fantastic. It's interesting actually because it's often that PhD students don't necessarily think that you know the work from their PhD can turn into a patent. I mean, we often think about patents from you know in teams of very established academics. Yeah, one thing is also finding out what's missing and being able to recognize potentially what's missing, and then finding a way to plug those gaps. So we we're going to finish our discussion, uh, Toby. And one of the things that I last I like to ask my my interviewing on the podcast is about their tips that you could give to any research. Figure out how to live in this uh, you know world of research. Your your five five words of wisdom. So I think I've probably touched on on those, and it's speak to as many people as you possibly can, and those of which don't do the same thing that you do. So that's really important. I think that's a really important tip is because you you kind of find out what the breadth of the opportunities are out there. Ask the right questions. On the back of that, there are no silly questions. Ask as many questions as you possibly can. Tip number three would be to to build build a network. So you will will be sat there and you'll think, right, all these people around me that I'm going through my early career research, that they are your network and you will, you know, in five, 10 years time, they will crop up. They'll be working in a company near you and you go, oh, I know so-and-so and you've got a bit of rapport. That's great. Make sure you hold on to that network and build that network. And tip number four is definitely use that network. So if you know you've got a problem that you're facing or you've got a certain thing that you're not about but you know that there's somebody in your network that will maybe be able to give you an answer just don't hesitate to pick up the phone and use your network as well and the other you know the one of the top tips one thing that's been been said to me is this is my number five tip which is probably most important is is to get out of your own way and by that i mean don't be your don't be the barrier to your own success if you think oh you're not sure i don't know whether to you know stick my head above the parapet here just you know count down don't be your own barrier to success well, thank you, Toby. It's been really a pleasure to meet you online. Really appreciate uh, you giving us uh, some of your time. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, good luck with the job and uh, you know with the uh, working in a, in a new structure through the you know through an international company. It's uh, it's uh, it's really interesting because effectively the uh, the shape of the business with change and the the role with evolve and and if you get a chance to go and and work in in Boulder, I'll tell you Colorado is awesome. Thank you. Goodbye. Ciao. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion I had with my guest. I'm very grateful that you've been listening to us. I hope that you will join me in the future podcast. 
I wish you a very good day. And if you want to contribute to the podcast, I'm very interested to hear from you as I'm always happy to, to invite some new interviewees on this podcast. So if you've got an interesting story about life in research and about the research environment, get in touch with me at sandrine at tesseldevelopment.com. Thank you.